Hey, and welcome to another episode of Control Alt Asher. I'm Tobias, and I'm back again with UC. What's up? Hey, Tobias. Um, I think last week I mentioned that I'm back to controlling my screen time, mostly on on my mobile devices, and I'm still doing that. I'm I'm a little bit proud that I can achieve that. But what happened on the side was that after last week's episode, I was sitting on the sofa. I think a day later, it was a really long day. And I was looking up something on the phone. Perhaps I needed to, to to get something for the house or something. And my wife said that maybe now is the time to finally go and get that eye examination booked. Because I was holding my phone at an arm's length from me and sort of squinting to try to read the little text <laughs> on, on the web page so I don't have glasses. So long story short i did that and i had a couple of appointments and and they gave me the verdict yes sir you do need reading glasses and two years from now you need glasses at all times so tomorrow i am going to the store i am fitting and trying 50 different models and and just picking one of those and, and let's see how it goes yeah, that sounds like fun. I've done that a couple of times. I got mine when I was 16, uh, because that's in Sweden when you can legally start test driving with your parents uh, ahead of getting your driver's license at, at the age of 18. And I realized I was pretty much blind without them. I didn't realize until I went into the optician and, and they did a test on my eyes because I couldn't read anything. But I didn't know that. So good for you. You're getting those. That's going to be great for your eyes. So on my side, I've been spending my time on gardening. So if you're a regular listener, you'll know that by now. So what I did now recently is, uh, like you talked a little bit about different automations in the past. I'm pretty sure we had a few episodes on various types of IoT and automations and stuff like that. I've touched on a little bit of this in the past as well on my side. For example, automating my greenhouse and like drip watering systems. Now I have a new project, which is a, a sustainable way to water my garden. And I'm, I'm trying to, again, if, if you've tuned in uh, uh, to, to this podcast over the years, I talk a lot about, you know, staying analog, not spending too much time digital. And I, I really try to leave the planet in a better shape than I found it in, in all the ways I can. It's like we use water uh, for, uh, how do you call them, water buckets to collect water, rainwater, and then those are connected to several kind of drip watering things into the uh, solar powered uh, pumps that drive all the vegetables that we grow in the garden. So we use only rainwater for that. So we live in a kind of healthy climate in that sense or a fairly balanced climate in Scandinavia. So it rains every now and then. And when it does rain a lot, then I can collect quite a lot of rainwater. Essentially everything coming on the roof of the main building is then collected. So it's quite a lot. And then I can reuse it. Now the latest project in in you know around these things is figuring out a more sustainable way to water the lawn. So I found a bunch of different sprinkler systems. So I have tried now three out of the five available ones I've found. And I also found a way to connect a Raspberry Pi uh, over Wi-Fi to a Bluetooth gadget that I can plug in on the water connector thing outdoors because the Pi doesn't really live very well outdoors, um, not here anyway. So I, I found a way to connect that and can control when and how the water should uh, start. 
So now I can have my sensors in the lawn saying, no, no, there is still enough moist in the lawn. You don't need to water. Or it will say sensor number two picked up that the uh, moist level is okay, but the two other sensors says it's too low. And then I can start those two sprinklers automatically during nighttime because you don't want to water again for sustainability and not wasting water. You don't want to water during daytime because if the sun is out, it's going to turn into vapor or, you know, just going to go away, right? Vaporize. And therefore you, you want to do it at night. So I've scheduled these things, plug them into the lawn. Sprinkler systems are starting at schedule if and only if there's not enough moist in the lawn. So that's pretty cool. And then I've got this robo mower that is actually cutting it. So um, at nighttime, I put some additional water on, which are using these kind of regulated things that you put on the water nozzle. So it doesn't use too much water, just enough. And when the moist sensor says, okay, that's it, then it just shuts up. So that's pretty cool. It's it's a lot of tinkering to get things right, but it's a nice side project. So so that's what I've been up to, and I'm super happy to uh, to have spent some time doing that. That sounds like fun. A, a bit complex at the same time, but perhaps I'll take notes in the future whenever I get to that part that I can actually build fun stuff outside. Alrighty. So today we are looking at what is the new Azure Developer CLI. So there's a new CLI tool in town called the Azure Developer CLI. Uh, CLI stands for Command Line Interface. Toby, I know you live in the command prompt and the CLI. What shell and, and, and what capabilities are you using today if you're not yet using the new Azure Developer CLI? So I'm, I'm using Windows Terminal as kind of my terminal. And inside of that, I use a bunch of different things. I have uh, the GitHub CLI that I use a lot. I have Git, normal Git, uh, which is not tied to GitHub. And uh, the Azure CLI that I've used for quite some time. Azure PowerShell that is also very popular to, to use for various Azure infrastructure and, and kind of control plane management plane activities. So I've used that. I've taken a look at this new Azure Developer CLI or AZ, AZD or AZD, the, the preview, but I, I've not used it as part of any of my like kind of main production streams of, of work. But I'd say those are the ones. And then, of course, I come back to stuff like SSH, you know, whatever kind of um, other third-party command lines that you want to use. And I also have one called Commander that I use to rely on a lot because of its capabilities to customize and set aliases and things for the command line. But now that's built into Windows Terminal, most of those things. So so those are really my go-to things. Windows Terminal, Azure CLI, Azure PowerShell, um, and, and all the default kind of tools around that and the GitHub CLI. What about you? Uh, for me, Windows Terminal obviously is the, is the default one. And I think now in Windows 11, that's the default if you open CMD, just once you get a command prompt, you get Windows Terminal and it's hosting your command host now or console host. Uh, for PowerShell, I don't really use it that much anymore. I, I think I used PowerShell for years. And then sort of Azure CLI became available and I figured, well, this is actually a Linux shell, a bash shell. And I've been using that for, for 15, 20 years. So I'm perfectly fine in not needing to use PowerShell because at the time I felt that whenever you would spin up a new PowerShell shell, 
it would take 20 seconds. So just to sort of reload. And then you figure, well, I need to authenticate to exchange online with MFA. And it took like 20 minutes to get that running. So for me, Windows Terminal and the default shell I have in there is the console host. So the old school command prompt. And then I have Azure CLI, um, a Windows subsystem for Linux, which spins up a bash shell for me as well. That's mostly it. I did try some of the fancy stuff like Commander and Oh My Posh, and I sort of never got to 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 really use them so that I I, I would feel that I need them. They, they were fun, but not, not really a necess necessity for me. And now, the Azure Developer CLI, as you said, it's AZD is, is the specific command. So it's a new developer-centric command line tool for building cloud apps. So we still have Azure CLI for whatever stuff you need to do in, in Azure. And for me, I often feel that Azure CLI is, is more of an IT pro tool or a tool perhaps for developers for tinkering with stuff, but perhaps slightly less with actually provisioning services, unless of course you're already using bicep templates and then you sort of have to use Azure CLI. Do, do, you, do you feel the same? Um, so I, I've used Azure CLI a lot. So it's it's like a control plane tool um, or, or a way to administer everything you have in Azure with provision things using the CLI as well a lot. Um, I've used it with Bicep Template, of course, but also just scripted provisioning, saying AZ, storage, whatever, create a new storage account, create a new key vault, you know, do different things using the, the CLI. So we've relied on that as well. But again, it depends on the use case and scenarios and, and how kind of structured you want to do that. Um, but, I, but I really like it. But Azure CLI is more the like administer and manage your Azure infrastructure like storage accounts, key vaults, VMs, web apps, whatever it is. And the Azure developers, Azure developer CLI, I would say is more in the dev workflow. So as a developer, you have a better uh, kind of workflow if you use that CLI as opposed to the Azure CLI, because not just for provisioning and managing stuff in Azure, the Azure developer CLI can you know, put together your cloud components, local development configuration, pipeline automation, and stuff like that into complete solutions, which I think is kind of the key aspect of of that CLI, the new CLI. So for developers making things easier. Uh, previously, if you use the Azure CLI as a developer, you had to kind of do all the stitching yourself. So you had to figure out what you need to spin up, how you need to create it, and then do you need a connection string from this service to that service? Well, that's on you. You have to figure that out. And then either you need to deploy templates or run a command to get the connection strings and then plug that into the code and stuff like this. And I think this is one of the aspects where the Azure Developer CLI can help you out in the workflow to just quickly get things up and running and kind of scaffolding things. Yeah, I, I agree on that one. As it focuses on the developer workflow, for now, the supported environments are Node.js, Python, .NET, and Java. And there's a, how would I say this, not a fairly limited one, but a select set of Azure services that are supported as of today in the preview. So Azure App Service, Functions, Container Apps, Static Web Apps, and Kubernetes Service is coming soon. So if there's anything else you plan on doing, it's not 
uh, supported by default. And at the same time, I'm now thinking that, well, what if I have a bicep template that needs to spin up a key vault? Will it spin up through Azure Developer CLI if I'm using the template system? Let's talk about that in a second. Or will it sort of error out because it's unable to comprehend that what's what's a key vault for now? So I, I feel that it's a little bit limited for now in terms of how do you use this, but it's already going in the right direction, definitely for the developer workflow. And I'm stressing the workflow on what developers typically need to do as opposed to Azure CLI, you tinker with whatever, and everybody sort of finds their own way on how do, you, how do they want to use that tooling. That makes sense. I mean, some of these things, like the new CLI here for like the Azure Developer CLI, when you read the specs or you take a look at the documentation, you might think, oh, well, this doesn't fit or, or kind of figure out all of my use cases as a developer, and that's fine. What I would recommend everyone to do is, well, if you don't want to favorite the page, at least now you know about the CLI, there will be a lot of updates coming, just like with the Azure CLI when that started to appear, right? It was a new project. It didn't have support for everything. People thought it was too limited for their use cases, which is totally fine. And I think the same applies here. You know, it's a new CLI. It's in preview. There's a lot of things cooking, as we can see in the public documentation. Keep an eye on it. Even if it doesn't support all the use cases you have right now, I'm pretty confident that the investment's going into this, at least looking at what I'm seeing on Twitter from people at Microsoft and also looking at the documentation, there's substantial efforts being put into this to to make this a very good experience for the developer. So I'm, I'm super happy to see that. But so now we know about it. How do I install this thing, right? It, with the Azure CLI, I can use Winget, for example, the, the command line thing in Windows and say, hey, just get me this thing. Um, and, and it will install it for me. So how do I do with the Azure Developer CLI? So it's not yet available on Winget. And what I also did on one of my Windows 11 boxes, I went to Microsoft Store. I never do that. I went there, tried searching Azure Developer CLI. It's not there. To, to install this, you, you first uh, install the necessary tooling. You need Azure CLI. You need Git. You need the GitHub CLI. So you install those three first, unless of course you're one of, one of those people like Toby that already has those tools. And then for a Windows box, you download a PowerShell script that uh, initiates the installation. For Linux or Mac OS, you get a shell script and you run that. So you can run this on a Windows box, Linux box, and also a Mac OS box. For me, when I did the initial installation for this, it, it sort of worked on Windows 11. I ran the PowerShell, it completed no errors. Obviously, I don't have the new command yet because it's an active session and it hasn't refreshed the modules. So I killed the session, opened a new Windows terminal, opened a new PowerShell window. It's still not there. I, I opened the same as run as admin, so control shift and, and click on Windows terminal. It's still not there. And then I tried reinstalling it and it did the same and then it magically worked for me. So it, it seems it's a little bit trickier to sort of get it done. But once it's done uh, in a classic command prompt window, you can just type AZD, press enter and, and you see the help file. Yeah, yeah, good points. I also did have some issues when I tried to install it. I got some various 
errors, but it appears after running the installment twice, it started working for me. So there might might be a glitch. It's a preview. You know, leave leave the door open on on that and, and try it again. If it doesn't work the first time, try it again. Close the close the session in the terminal. Start it again. Run it, and then then it works for me. So might be something going on there. I I haven't yet reported that as a bug, but I did take screenshots. So hopefully I can contribute with something. But this is pretty cool, and and you, there's also a, a bunch of supported development environments for it. So like, how do you run the the different templates that comes out of it? And and I think the options here are running things bare metal, which is on your machine, and the other is dev container, which means running VS Code remote using containers or GitHub Code Spaces. And we had a podcast, I think, on that, an episode on GitHub Code Spaces, or if it was Visual Studio Code Spaces at that time. I don't know, because they kind of moved the needle and, and changed that a bit. So there are uh, you know, different options for, for running your development environments here. But before that, when we say running your development environments, like to run any template, uh, the first thing you need is to decide where the environments should be hosted. But before that, why it is hosted? Like it uses, utilizes something called templates. Um, have you taken a look at what those templates are and what they consist of? Yeah, I did have a brief look at the templates. I didn't create my own just yet. I, I don't have a need for now. Uh, but I wanted to understand how the template structure works. And, and it's fairly simple. So for a template, which you can store locally, or you can store that in GitHub or someplace else, you just need to have that accessible for you. The template requires uh, an infra directory where you will have all of the bicep templates for all of the infra as code files. So if you need a storage account, if you need a web app, if you need whatever, you will describe those in a bicep template and, and put everything in the same directory. And then you need an azure.yaml file. And whenever I hear developers talking about YAML, I, I think everybody sort of agrees in unison that they hate the file structure, but it's still better than XML, but it's still still bad. Uh, so you need an Azure.yaml file, and this is the manifest file. So this essentially tells that what's the name of the template, what language are we planning on using, Node.js, Python, .NET, Java, and also what other folders do we have that that we are keen on including in here? So it's up to you to create this structure and to describe whatever you want to have in the template. But typically, this would be something if you're creating your, your new solution that you eventually plan on deploying to Azure, you would create this sort of on the side as you're crafting the solution. And the easiest way then to try the solution is to run AZD, up dash dash template and the template name. What this does is that it goes through the template, it will initialize the application, it will provision whatever is required in Azure, and it will also deploy everything that's described in the template to those resources in Azure. So there's plenty of other commands, but the AZD up uh, through the documentation is also the recommended approach. If you just want to get up and running, quickly you run this command yeah and I, I really like this and like the idea here of templates is I, I took a look at some of the available ones and uh, just to get an understanding so for node.js python and c sharp there are various templates that exist so just to list node.js you have to do 
Node.js with Mongo on app services uh, using Cosmos DB API for Mongo. And there is a to-do Node.js Mongo AC, uh, ACA, which is an Azure Container Apps um, template running also on Cosmos DB API for Mongo. And there's a to-do Node.js Mongo SWA, which is an Azure static web app um, plus Azure Functions. Uh, so you get these various templates. So if you think, well, I need to build a static web app hosted on Azure static web apps, and I need an Azure Functions to reply to requests or have an API, well, there's a template for that. You can use it, just spin that up, take a look, see what's getting provisioned, see how it works, and you can take that for a spin. Um, if you're a Python developer, there are similar things to do Python Mongo, to do Python Mongo ACA, ACA to do Python Mongo SWA plus, plus functions, exactly the same setup, also relying on the Mongo um, database, the Cosmos DB API for Mongo. Uh, looking at C Sharp, there is a to do C Sharp app for Cosmos DB using the Azure Cosmos DB SQL API running on Azure App Service. So whether you're a Node.js, Python, or C-sharp developer, you can uh, spin any of those demos up to take a look how it works. Um, what I really like though is, like my first question is here, okay, that's cute. I, I like these templates that are available, um, but it's for Node.js, there are three templates. Python, there's three templates. For C-sharp, there's one template, at least what I'm looking at right now. What I really want to say is, well, I am an architect or a lead developer or, or like a platform designer, app designer. I know exactly what I want to achieve here, but I want my team to be able to leverage this CLI to make it easier for them. Well, the documentation is also good in this sense that um, there is a section saying, or you know, a full file saying, make your project AZD compatible. And that means you can understand or build an understanding of the uh, Azure developer CLI architecture. So using AZD init as opposed to AZD up, where you would say AZD up this template to get that template, you can say AZD init, which initializes a new project. And then you create the infrastructure files in an infrastructure folder, main up parameters to JSON. You put the parameters in there because if you create your own template, then you understand how to build this architecture. It, it's not super complicated. You just have to kind of know where things go. You update the YAML files, everything that you talked about before. Um, then you provision and deploy with AZD up. So I love this coming full cycle. You have these existing templates, you take a look at them, uh, you review them and then realize, okay, I can learn a lot from those, but I need to extend it a little bit. Or, okay, I can learn a lot from those, but it doesn't you know, it doesn't cut the cheese the way I need it. So I need to set something up myself. Um, and then you can do that by creating the, the the right structure. You can add your bicep files if you need to deploy stuff, update the YAML file again, coming back to the fantastic format of YAML. You set up maybe a DevOps pipeline and that's it. Then you can get started. So it doesn't have to be complicated to get up and running and, and you're not limited to the existing templates. And I think that's kind of my key point here. We're not going to talk specifically how to create your own templates because you can only figure this out when you try it out yourself. It's going to be hard to kind of elaborate on here. Um, but I really like that. So hopefully we'll get some some time to uh, take this for a spin and, and craft our own templates. I, I do have a couple of example projects laying around um, that are some open source 
projects and initiatives as well. Maybe I can take one of those and spin up the uh, spin up a template for it and put that on GitHub. And then in a future episode, in our what's up section that we start out with, I will ask you, did you have a chance to try this thing out? And you can take it for a spin. Sounds, sounds good. And what I like about this is that you can do AZD up. It does everything for you as, as long as you have the template. But uh, another command you can do is AZD provision, which provisions all the necessary resources based on the template but it doesn't deploy the application. So it goes to the infra directory and it deploys whatever is needed to sort of set the destination so that you can eventually deploy your solution in there. And I feel this is super useful, especially for spinning up test environments, Q&A, something else than the production, just to test things instead of crafting a manual script that will do all of that for yourself. And then you need to tinker with that at all times. The pipeline command in AZD, I did have a look at that and it works with GitHub Actions. So I don't think there's a built-in Azure DevOps-based support for that, but it's GitHub Actions now. So everything is sort of tied again to Git and GitHub and, and, and sort of this way of creating solutions. Um, there's also a Visual Studio Code extension for this. If you're still using the real Visual Studio, there is a preview feature flag uh, to enable support for Azure Developer CLI, but you need Visual Studio 2022 17.3 Preview 2. <laughs> it's an <laughs> oddly specific version. I do not have that version. I think I have 2022 something. Uh, but this is a preview, so eventually it will be available in, in whatever stable uh, Visual Studio version you choose to use. Yeah, that's nice. So one other thing that I really like about this is the monitoring capability. Now, I've operated distributed SaaS solutions for a few years, and we built like globally available different systems, and you have to keep track of things running in different regions, and it can be pretty painful to stay up to date. One thing that I really like is that here in the command line, you have AZD monitor. Then you can monitor the application behavior and performance and, and kind of validate the deployments you're doing. Um, and why do I like that, that it's part of, of part of this? Well, number one, it's a list of how many, five, 10 different commands that's available right now. So there's not a lot of them. Seeing that monitor is part of that makes me really glad because often when you're a developer and you read documentation or get started or watch a video or learning or attend a course, everyone talks about here's how to create a project in Visual Studio, Visual Studio Code. Here's how to hit F5 or whatever you want to call it these days, right click, uh, right -click and publish. Uh, now you see it live in Azure. It's live. Awesome. What's next? Well, nothing is next, right? It's in the cloud. What more do you have to do? Um, now, the reality of operating distributed cloud solution is quite more, you know, a lot more complex than that. So I, I really love the idea to see monitor being part of this. This is based on Azure monitor. Uh, so you can also, uh, you know, dwell in more in, into what that can do. But using AZ mo AZD monitor, you can start monitoring through the CLI for your app, which I really like. Uh, so it's now part of um, uh, the CLI to bring this into the workflow of the developer. So you don't have the same disconnect as you did in the past. 
Now, a true DevOps or DevSecOps team may already have this figured out, but a majority of teams I see, they have developers, they develop, and they ship features. Then you have operations who may be the ones deploying and then figure out that something is wrong going back to create tickets in the backlog. And then you have this you know, back and forth. In a true DevOps or DevSecOps kind of setup, you don't need that because the developers, it's like you eat what you produce in the sense or eat what you grow, however you call that. And um, same thing here, you know, a, a developer should operate what he builds to some extent or be accountable for it. And with DevOps, true DevOps, then I think you have that. And now with the Azure Monitor, you have AZD Monitor Overview, so you can get the main dashboard. It, it kind of brings you just to Application Insights, right? Um, you have AZD Monitor Live, and that's the live metrics dashboard, and AZD Monitor Logs, which is the logs dashboard. And all of these things are relevant when you need to dwell into the details and see exactly what's going on in your application. Uh, so that proves the point that if you have a properly produced template, it's already connected to a resource for Azure Monitor. You have App Insights set up. It's connected to it with a telemetry key. You take it for a spin, you start using it, and then you should see things pop up in App Insights. Now, coming from a different background where you did not have the AZD or the Azure Developer CLI, you had to do all of these things yourself. Maybe someone in your team did it for you. Maybe someone else um, instructed you to do it, or maybe you thought of it yourself. But the majority of cases that I've seen out in the field, developers set things up, provision maybe a resource in Azure, maybe a few resources, and then try things out, and it works. Forgetting about monitoring, forgetting about perimeter security, not having networking, no firewalls enabled, like the list is long of things you want to do right, even in the stages of development. So again, seeing monitor in here makes my heart pound a little bit extra today. So I'm super thrilled about that. Looks really good. And I, I like that the tool is simple enough to actually get started with this one. Instead of having 55 different commands, it's AZD up, init, provision, deploy, monitor, pipeline. That's mostly it. I'm sure I will be spending more time with this in the coming weeks. I think that's all we had for that one. And the last bit we have is the unexpected question. I think I lost track who did what last week, but I think <laughs> you did ask me last week. So perhaps, Toby, it is my turn to ask you the unexpected question. Okay, shoot. How much sawdust can you put into someone's Rice Krispie cereals in the morning before they notice? <laughs> uh, it's a good it's a good point. Um, good question. I think, I think so. A typical Swedish answer would be: you can put an average amount of sawdust into the Rice Krispies in the morning before they notice. I would say half of a handful. After that, I think it turns into like this, um, almost like a glue. If if you mix, because I I took I don't know the English uh, word for this, but I think it's woodworking class in school. Yeah. And while doing that, I, I used the saw machine a lot and I collected sawdust and then you played around with the sawdust and you put it in water and experimented what happened. If you put it in water, if you put a lot of it in water, it kind of clogs up. So if, if you do eat cereal one day and it starts clogging up, then you may or may not have a brother or a sibling or, or sister, you know, someone putting stuff into your Rice Krispies. So then, then you need to be on the lookout. So from now on, protect your Rice Krispies because now I will trust no one. That's that's a good approach. Yeah, I'm I'm 
agreeing with you on, on, on the amount here. I'm not planning on trying that, but I'm thinking, yeah, yeah, that would work. All righty. Thank you again for joining us this week, and we hope you join us next week as well. All right. See you then.